Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. This is the Vuelta España Stage 7 recap. We had crosswind, eh, I wouldn't say chaos, just a bit of, yeah, some crosswind action, especially on some of the climbs. And I'm here with Benji Nyson, as, as usual. Uh, Alexander Vlasov with yesterday. Benji's gotten off work for the pod. The European hours, the time change is destroying both of us. But as you know, our Vuelta Espana podcasts are also brought to you by Lacole, our podcast partner. They produce performance cycling apparel. They provide it to Bahrain McLaren in the Pro Peloton. And while Pals on Bahrain McLaren, he had a pretty good stage actually on the stage before the rest day. It kind of went unnoticed in the cold and wet, but he was up there. I think he dropped Roglic actually. Um, and a lot of people have been having jacket issues in the cold, I am yet to see a Bahrain McLaren rider have any issues with their clothing so far. Um, but a lot of other riders are struggling to get their jackets up, not naming any names, both in the Vuelta and the, the Giro. But if you want to check out Lacole, it's at www.lacole.cc. The link is in the show notes or the YouTube video description. Moving on to the Vuelta Stage 7. Interesting parkour, 160k stage rolling climbs and they do a descent to Orduña, then a, the fir- two reps of the Puerto de Orduña climb. 8K is at 7.6%, but there's a 14% pinch in there. They do the first climb at uh, 57Ks in, then more rolling hills, etc. not perfectly flat by any means, and then they do the second climb with 130Ks into the stage, and then afterwards it's about 20Ks to the finish from the crest. Not a particularly technical descent off the climb. There was a technical descent off the La Tejera climb in the middle of the stage, but that wasn't a very hard climb. Uh, So we didn't know whether there was going to be a breakaway or GC action. I thought maybe Movistar were going to try something with Soler on that climb, but they did try something different. And, well, I guess we got our answer about whether there was going to be a breakaway, Benji. Maybe the biggest break this year in any race. Yeah, what a huge breakaway, and it was created in multiple parts as well. We started off with a race that was extremely fast, breakaways were forming, and the first group that got away never actually got away. We saw that in the peloton, they started pacing, Jumbo was pacing a tiny bit, and Ineos as well, and they caught that first initial breakaway. That initial breakaway didn't have amazing names. I was kind of disappointed with the group that was formed at that point because, uh, well, my pick for the stage, Arambudu, was not part of it. Now, after a good 32, 34 kilometers, we saw some action that a large group is getting away, including a jumbo rider, Sepkaz, which is the same strategy that they applied a few climbing stages ago. I think on the stage that Wellens won, at the start of the stage, we saw that they put Kaz in the breakaway. And now they did the same, forcing Ineos to try and respond. Obviously, there is a big difference compared to that stage at Wellens 1. is a fact that Kaz is now on 10 minutes. But Ineos started riding. Ineos started controlling it and not necessarily closing the gap directly down, but they did use quite a few riders on this first attempt to close that down. They kept it on around a minute, but people kept on attacking. We saw another group trying to get away. And all in all... We saw three groups in the end that got away. The first one including, as I said, Kras, Scheimler, Rui Costa, Egg, Storer, Aramburu, Schelling, Laranyu, Kort Nielsen, Godon, Stan de Wolf, Lafaye, Pechon, De Bot, Rojas, Terpstra, and Lastra. So from that first group, you see that 
because it's obviously the name that we are thinking would be a very important factor in keeping Ineos at the front of the peloton, keeping them pacing in that peloton. When it comes to potential stage winners in that group, you've got Aramburu, spoken about him, but also Court Nielsen if it is not that hard of a climb. When it comes to the real climbers, Rukoshta maybe, but the real climbers followed afterwards. The second group had, well, Nospites, stage winner in the Giro and in the Tour de France already. Michael Woods, also in there. Tim Wellens, Guillaume Martin, Carlos Verona, Sicard, Zimmermann. We've got Omar Freile winning quite a few stage and Grand Tours already. I think it was in the Tour that he won two in the past. Adensmann once again, Robert Power, Kenny Lissond, Lopez. I think that, I don't know which Lopez that is. Honestly, uh, Oliveira, Ivo Oliveira, and then in the third group, Davide Formolo, Nieve, Shohegi, Alejandro Valverde, Madrazo, and Cabello. Now, Valverde before this race was a good three minutes ahead of the peloton. During all of this, we also saw that Bennett was moving up in one of these groups, moving towards the first group as well. So, all in all, a large breakaway. Two riders from Jumbo, that's Cass and Bennett. Valverde, that is dangerous for GC. Woods that wants to get a stage win. Gilmartin that's been trying to get stage wins all over in this Vuelta. Wellens trying to get some points for the KOM. So a breakaway with many goals, but one goal is simple. They want to try and stay ahead. And the longest they stay ahead, the better that is for Cousin Bennett and Jumbo as a whole. Because then Ineos is going to have to keep them at one minute, two minute, as long as possible. Now, I want to throw a question to you. You've got... The Ineos team. You're the Diaz of Ineos right now. Congratulations on your uh, demotion. Now, we've got Cus and Bennett in the breakaway. Cus being on 10 minutes, Bennett being on 3 minutes, 20 or 40. Pulvare being on 3 minutes. Do you chase the breakaway like Ineos did today? Uh, it, I would chase, but not as hard as they chased today. I would have let them have three to five minutes if they really wanted to. I wouldn't have let it get out to something ridiculous, obviously, but I, I'm not – if I'm Ineos, I'm not concerned about Valverde, Bennett or Coos. I think all of those riders are going to have a bad day and lose – or progressively lose time on certain stages. And I think Yamo Visma, to win the Welter with Roglic, are going to need to expend Coos as um, sort of a domestique. So – and in that way, he will lose time. So I'm not. I think they paced a little bit too hard today. But then again, I don't think they. I didn't see them going overboard either. They just progressively burn out all their riders, uh, including Amador at the end, and even he sort of stopped pacing eventually. So yeah, do do you think they? Um, do you think Koos is still a real threat? I don't think so. I don't think he's shown that he can really gain back all that time and then not lose more on any particular day across the next two weeks. If you would have a Grand Tour with stages that have multiple mountains following each other, like the ones that the Tour de France had in the past, the one that was planned on stage six, three mountains, 140 kilometers max, maybe less even, then I would say perhaps if he gets in the breakaway on the first climb and just massacres it, but then Ineos would be pacing right at the start already to try and catch him because that would be a dangerous point. On that kind of stage, it would be dangerous, but... On this one, I, w- I wouldn't see the danger, really. But I also wouldn't let the gap go up to, like, six minutes. So I'd keep it at around four or five. But the issue is, when do you do you progressively let it go down to four minutes instead of keeping it at three? Or do you just stop for ten minutes and then it's 
four minutes or five minutes. Well, if you stop for 10 minutes, it's probably going to be nine minutes, but okay. Just in general, I think that we are maybe not really considering that that one minute is not going to make the biggest difference here in comparison with the chasing that they do. Because if it's one minute extra for the breakaway, that minute is going to be gained by the breakaway quickly and they're going to have to ride the same pace that they did all stage. So I think that is really the the point I'm trying to make if that comes across yeah. in any way. But, um, and what's the harm in just burning Camworth? Like he's going to be used anyway. Does it really make a difference, Camworth riding for a little bit longer or having one minute off or not? And they use Froome as a flat land domestique today as well. So I, I don't really – Sosa, the one thing I want to talk about though, Benji, Sosa, do you know what happened with him? He just disappeared at the base of the second climb for Ineos. Well, and I've always thought he's not looking great. He's not living up to maybe the hype. And um, certainly wasn't able to help Carapaz in any way today. I think we saw once again that he has a bit of an issue with any situation that is not climbing. He was gone at the moment that Ineos was pulling echelons. And that is an issue for Sosa, yeah. That that is where he disappeared from the front of the race. Even before the climb? Yep. Just after the uh, descent part, he was gone. And I think only Amador and Vambala were left to help out uh, Carapaz, so he didn't even make the climb at that point. Yeah, because I think Worth and Froome pulled off, they've been working a lot, and then it was Golas, who'd also been working a lot, Amador, who'd not, who'd been sitting in, protecting. Amador was the guy that Ineos used to just shepherd Carapaz anyway. Carapaz goes yeah. back to take a piss, he's got Amador with him. Carapaz goes back to speak to the DS, Amador's with him, brings him back up. He's... It's like Coos with Roglic in the Tour de France. Um, like Amador and Carapaz, they're inseparable. Ingos want to force the pace on a descent. Amador in front of Carapaz. Saw that on Actually, stage, uh, stage six. On. I would compare Amador more to Venard than Cus in the Tour de France. Because I've yeah, got the feeling fair. that Amador on the flat is invaluable compared to Amador on the climbing, who is valuable but not invaluable. I think that Amador on the flat and controlling dangerous situations, chaotic moments is invaluable at the moment. He's the Kwiatkowski that they have at the Tour de France, but now in the Vuelta, Amador is literally worth everything for that team right now. And honestly, today, once again, proven that for me, he's the best domestique of this Vuelta. And I've always said that if I ever would have, at this moment, the budget for a World Tour team, he's the first rider I try to sign. Because... He's probably not going to be at the uh, salary that the big guns are at. He's going to be at a domestique salary, but still on Ineos terms. But on the other end, he can do more than he is achieving right now. But then again, yeah, he's riding at Ineos. So he is in a team that supports him probably better than the team I would create. Well, exactly, he's a super domestique level town, uh, rider, but you don't have to pay him what Wavanagh and Kwiatkowski get paid, which is well north of a million euros uh, for Kwiatkowski and infinite amount for well I assume. But, yeah, getting back to the stage, I'm not sure we, where we left off. That was a lot of Amador love. I, uh, um, I can follow up. Yeah, uh, you, so you pick up. After the um, – well, before the first – well, somewhere mid in the stage. I don't know where it was, to be honest, but there was a crash from a rider from Bora. It looked pretty bad, to be honest, at the side of the road. He was in the middle of a, uh, a cut-off cornfield, basically, with his bike like 15 meters further, I have not seen any nose by Bora 
So uh, we'll be checking out the social media channels in the uh, near future to hope that everything's all right with Jay McCarthy. It was a bit of a, a difficult moment to notice who it was because if you had a camera view from the back of the peloton, it looked exactly like the camera view of the back of the breakaway because both groups are huge. And because of that, there was confusion whether he crashed out of the breakaway or out of the peloton. And therefore, they were confusing him with Schilling. And um, eventually, it was turning out to be McCarthy. But he's out of La Vuelta, that is for sure. Let's hope he's pretty okay. Now, on the fast ascension, that breakaway did blow up slightly. We saw some movement in the sense that we saw Sepp Gus trying to get the KOM points once again. We've seen this quite a few times, this Vuelta, that he sneakily gets the KOM points. He was not so sneakily because he just straight up went for it. He straight up went for it. And he clearly has some kind of goal with this KOM jersey. I'm not sure what the goal is. I don't understand it because I think that with all the stuff he has to do for Roglic in the coming days, I don't think he will be able to get that and also 100% focus on the Roglic. So I'm not sure if that's really the best strategy for Sepkas right now, but I'll move into that a bit more later because I've got some other questions surrounding the jumbo strategy today, if it was worth it or anything. But first of all, let's continue on with the breakaway. Well, the major action happened between the two climbs and that is when we saw an attack by a group with Dorian Godon and also Valverde and the Wolf. This was just before the descent towards the last ascension. And in that group, we saw that Valverde was clearly trying to uh, trying to win the stage. Like, genuinely, he was not looking to gain more time or anything. He was being very vicious, trying to follow groups, trying to get into the, the right move every time. So... Valverde on the old game, I enjoyed it very much. Then we saw some bridging happening from behind, the likes of Wellington so forth bridged up. But by the time they started climbing the last climb, we saw that the group was somewhat close together and it closed down before the last climb. And in the peloton, like you said, echelons happened. Uh, I'll talk about the break first, I think, because we can do the uh, peloton afterwards. In that breakaway, we saw on the last climb that we had an attack, a very proper attack by Sepkas early on on the climb. Woods and Valverde trying to follow, and the rest of the group tried bridging up as much as possible. It all came down together again. But then Schelling attacked, which is the youngster from Bora, very talented guy, rode for Seg Racing Academy until this year. And yeah, I can tell you that he's running a great Velta, and that was clear today once again. And Volvari was following that attack once again. So once again, Volvari in there. But very clear that Woods was planning something as well. The Schelling and Volverde attack were caught. And then Woods tries his attack with about three kilometers of climbing to go on that climb. And it gets a bit of a gap. 30 seconds on Schelling, Volverde. We've got Freyla bridging up to those two lads. And Guillaume Martin slowly but surely bridging up towards them as well. So we see that the climbers are really popping out of the breakaway group there. And Freyla had an interesting move because if Freyla is in the group with Valverde and so forth, they can keep Aramburu with the chasers and Freyla can try and work with that front group. He's got to finish as well. And if that doesn't work out at the front, then they'd still have an Aramburu at the back. So despite us commenting on Astana tactics in the past, everybody that watches cycling, I think, has seen some questionable tactics from that team and some other teams like Movistar in 2019. 
But today I feel like Astana was doing pretty nicely on that level. Who do you think that on the climb itself would win the stage eventually? Because we saw a big counterattack by Valverde trying to close down Woods. Did you think that Valverde had it in him? Yeah, I thought so. I think he looked a lot different today. I actually thought Freil Freil was uh, the was the guy who's going to win the stage just because the way he snapped onto Valverde's wheel was so violent. The way he attacked and then almost like braked into that steep section on Valverde's wheel, the, the change of pace was insane. Um, so I thought he was going to win the stage. He seemed to have more pop than the other riders. I think Valverde still looked better today, but still missing something. Um, and it didn't really work. He, he definitely missed not having uh, someone like Rojas and Erviti with him in that breakaway, someone to really control things. I think when you look at how it eventually panned out, Valverde had the strongest kick out of all those guys, um, uh, particularly given how much he eventually worked. But they all got away on that climb, and it was uh, George Bennett, I think, lost the wheel of uh, Woods for education first at some point. He did the what mastered the on the first stage with Roglic. He pre- sort of half, made as if to close close down Woods and then pulled out really quickly and Coos was went to close it down and he's like, oh, well, Bennett's closing it down and then Bennett just lets it go and whilst Woods is attacking and Woods got away. So Jumbo Visma made it half of themselves there uh, for starters and they continued making things, making life hard for themselves, I thought. Um it was very unusual from from Yamo Visma today, but yeah, going over the top of that climb, Benji, was it? Yeah, Pates, uh, Woods, Freyle, and Guillaume Martin has been very active in this world, and obviously Balabalin, Alejandro Valverde, um, and well, Woods actually had a gap on them, but I thought, well, he's not a very good descender, even on a non-technical descent, they're going to catch up to him. Eighteen um, k is a long way to TT away on your own, and that was. Telling for the GC action, which we'll get to in a second, it, it's a long way, sort of a pretty flat run into the finish, 18Ks, if you don't have a monster team with you. Um, when if, if you're a GC guy trying to get a big gap, well, you need a big gap to, to really make that worthwhile. But, yeah, they, they caught up to Woods and pretty much attacked each other for, like, 15 kilometres. Maybe they worked with each other for 4Ks or on the descent after they and then they caught Woods. Then Woods refused to work. There's a, still that really large group behind them, Benji, with, was it three teams with multiple teammates? Bennett and Coos, so Yama Visma, two Sunweb, Aronsman and was it Power or Stora, and also Costa and Formolo. Was there any other teams as well that had multiple teammates? It was a large group chasing them. Honestly, not sure if I had anyone else in there with multiple riders. I know that Sunweb indeed had two riders in there with Aronsman and Power, but... I didn't expect them to close it down, nor did I think either of them had the punch to finish it off afterwards. And this is what I wonder. Now, we've got Bennett and Kaz riding in that chasing group, but I believe that in that chasing group, why would why would Jumbo pace at that point? They've got Kaz and Bennett. We've got them being behind from the climb section, if they get to Valverde and so forth, they're going to be swamped by Ramburu who's sitting at the back of the group and not doing anything because Freil is up front. So I don't get why Jumbo pays so much in the end because they are using valuable energy that could be spent on their GC leader in the future days. And 
This is what I don't get about half of the strategy of Jumbo today. They put someone in the breakaway, extremely clever, to try and make sure Ineos gets rid of their domestique slowly but surely to try and control the gap. And definitely if the break is so big, that plays in their advantage. But towards the last half of this race, they bottle it themselves by having two of their best domestiques, if not their best domestiques, at this Vuelta, riding it for a stage win that they have such a limited chance to win that it's not even worth it. I I didn't get it. I genuinely didn't. And I think that it's stuff like this is going to cost them in the long run. Because yesterday they got shattered trying to get Roglic back to the group, every single one of their domestiques. Today, Cus and Bennett get shattered in the breakaway because they're trying to win a stage that is almost impossible for them to win at that point. If this continues, they're going to be done with domestiques by the time they reach Anglido and such. So, yeah. Do you have a different view on that or am I, like, bashing them too hard right now? Uh, well, it, make, it makes sense, right, to get in the break because, you say, Kuz or Bennett get a big gap on that climb, then they can go for the stage win. Also, if the break gets let go by Ineos, maybe Kuz gains back, like, eight minutes or something, Quintana style. But once they crest that second climb, they've only got like a minute on the peloton, which is pacing hard with Amador. So they're not going to gain much time, if at all, with Coos. You've got this second group that they're in, all looking at them to chase down the Valverde group up the road, which is 20, 20 seconds up the road, 17 seconds up the road. If they catch the Valverde group, they'd have to out-sprint either Valverde, Woods, Freyle, or Aramburu, or Costa, not happening. So at that point, there's zero upside to them pacing. And there's also Primoz Roglic in the group behind them. Did he have anyone with him at that point, or was, it, was he on his own? Like, what happens if... Now, maybe he did have someone with him, Hofstadter, or someone that I haven't seen, and he was in a green jersey, so it's difficult to pick out today, uh, Primoz Roglic. But if he was on his own... What happens if he has a mechanical? He's got no one to give him a bike, even though probably Coos and Bennett's bike doesn't fit him. Um, he's got no one to help out, etc. if he has an issue. So that's another issue where you've got no upside on the one hand and then you're sort of exposing Roglic on the other hand. Although it did seem like Ineos were just kind of pacing it in at that point. I don't think Amador was... It, it certainly wasn't panic stations uh, either in that group. But getting back to the, the break... It was just attack after attack after attack between this the group of five, Martin, Woods, Freyle, uh, Valverde, and Patez. I could not believe that they did not get brought back by that Jumbo-Visma-led group chasing behind, given that there were multiple teams with multiple teammates. Just couldn't believe that, that because they were attacking each other as well. George Bennett would get to the front and just kind of surge. It was weird what Yama Visma were doing. Like they kind of messed up that chase as well. Or maybe just no one was, everyone was refusing to work with them, which I don't really think was the case. I think Sunweb were happy to work. I think UAE were happy to roll through too. Um, but then, yeah, the gap went out to about 24 seconds with 5Ks to go or so, 4Ks to go. It became apparent that they're not going to close that. It went out to 24 seconds. They're not going to close that down. Valverde attacked off a, a roller. There was a dipper, and you could see he got into the drops, laid off a bit, built up some speed, attacked really hard. And I think he would have gone clear. Woods couldn't close it down, and then Nance Patez was the man who eventually he put in a big, big dig, sacrificing his own efforts 
uh, to close it down. Guillaume Martin and Petez worked so much, so much, they had zero chance of winning. Um, not only because they're probably not as punchy as the other guys, but also they worked so much. And then there was a really, I think there was another move from Freyler and then Woods closed that down and then eventually it got missed by the cameras because the cameras, when the GC guys were pacing hard, they'd show the breakaway doing nothing. And then when the break was on, they showed the peloton and they were showing the peloton and it was clear that Mike Woods attacked in like the last 1,500 metres or just under really hard attack. He'd been sitting on, refusing to work with the group for quite a lot of it and just sort of marking attacks and no one could get to his wheel. He got a good gap. He was gone. Freyla jumped out of the group trying to close it down, but really he got to within about 150 metres of him, but he just he was done at that point. And uh, Valverde wound it back a little bit, but Woods went clear, won the stage with a last sort of kilometre attack. Getting in the break, pretty good ride from Woods actually. Quite a smart, he out-Valverde Valverde today and, um, yeah, won the stage. One of his biggest professional wins. I'm not sure he's won only... He's a big name, Mike Woods, but he's only won, I think, six professional races, um, obviously coming to the sport late. He's th- he's 34 years old. I thought he was like 28. Anyway, he's he's now won two stages of the Vuelta. He won one in 2018, won Milano Torino last year. But, yeah, probably his second biggest uh, win of his career. I'm not sure with the 2018 stage win. I think, you know, beating Valverde in a break in a stage like this is, is pretty nice, um, although... The one in 2018 was pretty nice as well, ahead of Turns and De La Cruz, etc. I reckon this one might be up there with him because he sort of outfoxed the guys he was in in the breakaway, maybe inadvertently. Uh, <laughs> maybe he got a bit of help from Nance Pitez as well. But, yeah, what do you make of uh, Mike Woods, Benji? Um, what did you think of this breakaway? Do you think Valverde? I think Valverde actually looked pretty good today. Yeah, I agree. Valverde looked good and looked strong, but... It's also in a race that is different than the ones he's gonna be good need to be good in for GC. So this showing off of Ari doesn't mean that he's suddenly gonna pop up at the top of the GC yet. But he's moving up. He moved up a solid minute today. That brings him closer and into the top ten. He's now above George Bennett, who also was in that second group, who also moves into the top ten. So two people from teams that are already in the top ten, so they could play them out and try and get benefits out of that because Bennett is the second best rider from Jumbo in GC right now and he's going to be the one that they will need to use if they want to try something different unless they want to give it all for Oglitch right now which on paper would probably be the best bet at this point with everybody being totally uh, slaughtered in their team like Dumoulin once again one of the uh, earlier ones who dropped in that group I think at least 40 people were left and and Dumoulin was dropping on that second climb while Froome actually did some work for their squad. Then again, Dumoulin didn't have the option to work for the team today. So for me, it's hard to really compare those facts right now. We need to have a situation where Dumoulin is able to work to see whether he wants to pull up the domestique mantle and help out Roglic. But Froome, I how could, how could he help he's worth it. I don't know. There's going to be stages where he might be able to help him. Like, you can't tell me Doing that. What? There is no stage where Roglic wants to do anything. He can ride yeah, no the He can be Hofstede 2.0. <laughs> I don't know. He can oh, at least do something. Now he's doing nothing. 
He looks terrible. I don't think he's capable of doing anything. I'm sure. I'm certain there's circum. There's good scenarios they could use him for, but like tomorrow's stage, for example, like if Dumoulin was in really, really good form, we'll get. We'll get to. We'll get to that in a sec. Let's let's clear up what happened in the GC group. GC group promised a lot. There was sort of crosswinds going to the base of the second climb, like really strong crosswinds too. Ineos, I thought, were on the verge of trying to split it, but they didn't go full. Uh, maybe they were worried about putting Sosa or Carapaz under too much pressure, although Carapaz is generally pretty good in them. Um, they didn't really maybe have the engines to do it, no quick, Kofsky, etc. They go into the second climb and they just pace it with Dylan Van Baal. So it... Yeah, it didn't blow up as we as we hoped, and no one attacked. And I think the reason no one attacked is because the it's not actually that long a climb, eight k's. The most, the biggest gap you're going to get is like ten seconds. There's a long drag descent afterwards where you're going to get mown down by people being able to draft in a bigger group. So it happened to Woods and fifteen k's to the finish on your own, where there's no bonus seconds because there's a break up the road. So all you're going to get is like maximum. <laughs> three to five seconds, it's just the energy to do it is not worth the reward. It's a very low reward and a big energy expenditure given the stage we got we got tomorrow. But, yeah, I thought I thought someone was going to lose time today, but when you saw Dylan Van Baal on the front, Benji, and no one else take it up, did you think, oh, they, these guys are just going to ride it in today and call it, a, call it a day? I don't know what... Well, what what I saw on that second ascension was that uh, they had like three riders than Ineos at the start of that second ascension. And when that happened, I expected a bit more than what they did. But on the other end, we've got a climb with headwind behind it at a certain point, five kilometers of headwind or so. So anything they do on the climb will be ne- neglected in that headwind section and they will be caught afterwards. So in the end, it wasn't really worth it to try anything, but I hope for a bit of Karapaz action because Karapaz, uh, he's showing madness in this in this Velta in the sense of aggressiveness in the race, and I'm really adoring it, genuinely. I think that he's my one of my favorite GC riders in this Velta at the moment because of that, and he's also probably my favorite to win tomorrow's stage, but as you said, we'll dive into that in a second here. So no GC movement from the, the main guy, main guys, just Valverde, Bennett moving up. They all rode it in and for some reason sprinted for the line even though there were no bonus seconds on offer. Um, good stage win for Mike Woods uh, over Frail and Valverde in second and third. Volters, I think, said congrats to Woods <laughs> on Twitter. Didn't tag him though, didn't tag him. And obviously there was a bit of drama because – when Woods was at the uh, World Champs representing Canada, EF pretended like he didn't exist because he's going to Israel Startup Nation next year. So uh, I wonder if that was an intentional lack of tagging of Rusty Woods. Maybe he's blocked and he can't tag him. I'm not sure. I thought that was maybe there's something there. Stage 8 tomorrow from Logroño to Alto de Moncalvillo, 164 Ks. It's Rolly terrain, there's probably quite a lot of accumulated climbing in the first 100 kilometres. Then they hit a Category 2, not very difficult. Puerto de la Raza, 10Ks, 5.3%. That shouldn't worry them too much, although it probably is a little bit steeper than uh, the average gradient suggests. I can see a few few ramps in there, yeah. So the there's an 8% section there, 8% K, and then the last K is 8% too. Then the descent valley, 
and then they do a pretty decent climb actually the Montcalvillo climb 11.3 k's at 8 percent it's it's steep the first five k's or the first four k's are not steep average about three percent um and then the climb proper is really six k's long um and averages at a guess nine to nine and a half percent there's an 11% average kilometre, the ninth kilometre, that's pretty brutal. And then it, it flattens out in the last maybe uh, 250 metres. By flatten out, I mean 5 to 6%. So there's going to be GC action tomorrow. I don't know what the weather forecast is, um, but even if it's good weather, there's going to be GC movement. People are going to get dropped. Um, and, yeah, I don't know who I have for the stage. I'll let you... Do you think do you think Coos and Bennett are going to be cooked, Benji? I, I think I don't know. It's the end of it's the end of a very condensed season. Now that I think about it and look at this finale, it, it does make yeah. What you say, Benji, about them using them in the way they did today, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I don't get it. I still don't get it, and I think I'm going to have to think about it quite a bit to figure out if there was a serious plan behind it. But I think that they used Bennett and Gus very ineffectively and just a bit of a waste towards the second half of this whole stage. I would even say just at the top of that second climb, that's where they should have changed tactics because it wasn't going to work out. Now, nonetheless, for this stage today, well, tomorrow actually, uh, this next mountain stage, I think that Karapas is going to win. And I'm saying that in both situations, if there is any rain, if there is any chaos with echelons, anything... Ineos is the best team to position themselves at the front. And if that doesn't happen, Karapas seems to be one of the stronger people in that group. Additionally, the last kilometer of that climb is 7.5%, nothing like 10-11. Otherwise, I would have pointed towards a Dan Martin or something. So I believe that Karapas is just at that level to try and finish this one off. Perhaps Roglic can come back. Yesterday, he lost 30 seconds, but looking back at the whole stage, it could have been could have been twice as much or just much more if the team didn't all put each other together and brought Roglic back. But on the other end, he shouldn't have gotten behind in the first place. But we can talk about that for ages. Let's not beat a dead horse here. We'll talk about that on the uh, post-Velta recap if it had an influence or not. But all in all, I think that Carapaz is going to win for me today. Well, tomorrow. I keep on saying today for some reason. It's clearly the stage tomorrow, but additionally, we're actually going to start with very breaking news right now. We've got a new Lantern Rouge in the Vuelta, and his name is Jakub Mareshko. <laughs> He's done it. <laughs> is He's that breaking news? I just assume that by default. <laughs> well, actually, he wasn't the worst climber today because Moschetti was riding 40 minutes behind everybody at a certain point and was out of time limit. <laughs> Oh, really? Jesus. Uh, my pick for tomorrow is Vlasov. He came on the podcast. He was he came fifth on the maybe the second hardest climb they've done so far, or like the way they rode it on the on stage three. This is the hardest climb they've done in the Vuelta so far tomorrow, and I think it'll really suit him. And he's looking good. He's looking better than he did on the first couple of days. And he's just that little bit behind on GC that I don't think Carapaz will care too much if he goes in the last two Ks. Vlasov is like six or eight minutes behind. Uh, I think six minutes behind. So I think Carapaz, if he sees Vlasov go with two and a half, three Ks to go, maybe he 
gets a little bit of a license to go up the road. Um, but that's assuming it's from the GC group. I don't think he'll be going in the breakaway. Um, and obviously, I, I told him, I told him on the pod that this is a stage he can win. Um, so that has to count for something. Um, it's a hard climb tomorrow. It's, I think Mars could be in trouble. I think he he's looking consistent. I think Val, but not. He's he's not winning these stages. He's never a stage winner, Enric Mars. Similarly, Alejandro Valverde, I think, was going to lose time tomorrow. And I have no idea what's going to happen with Coos and Bennett. On paper, Coos in Tour de France form would be smashing this climb uh, and putting Roglic in a really good position. Now, would you? how surprised would you be, Benji, if Jumbo Visma came out tomorrow, set up a train with Hersink, Hofstetter, smashed it with Bennett, lit it up with Coos, reduced it to eight guys, then launched with Roglic with two Ks to go. How surprised would you be? Extremely because nothing in this Vuelta so far has been pointing towards it. And it's maybe harsh to say, but Roglic has not been riding at the level that he was at the Tour de France. And we're saying this mainly because, not only because oh, of I don't yesterday know about that. or like two days ago, I believe that we can see that from the fact that he has not attacked at a certain point. So either his confidence is lower or the fact that he can't attack at the end of a stage. He would have won the Dan Martin stage if he was at Tour de France level. True, I true. That's I do not true, yeah. believe anything else in that. But all in all, the team also feels weaker to control the race with Hofstede and so forth. Like you said multiple times in the previous podcast, they don't have a Van Aert, they don't have... Well, Hesing seems to be good, but he doesn't seem to be on the Tour de France level either at the moment. Tony Martin is missing as well. Obviously, they got Hofstede and the likes of Paul Martins and such, but... Those are not on the level of those people at the Tour de France that were controlling the peloton for them. And that is also why they have been less effective at controlling the breakaway in the earlier days of this Vuelta as well. On quite a few stages, we expected them to be pointing more towards trying to get a victory with Roglic, and they haven't done that. And in the Tour de France, they wouldn't have dropped a opportunity like that if it presented himself definitely for like a sprint with a, an elite group on a climb. Yeah. He would have won that then Martin stage. I keep on telling you, but I think that Roglic is a tiny bit under what he needs to be. And I think he will be lucky with the storm trial still being on the menu. People will say, well, he was not great at the storm trial in the tour. He had a good time trial in the tour, but there was a better rider on the road. But all in all, I think that you can't also compare Pogacar to Karapaz in time trial. Karapaz is worse. And if Karapaz and Roglic end up being the two people bashing each other in that time trial, then I think it's going to go towards Roglic. But Roglic needs to keep himself near Karapaz in GC for that. But we got to say it. Like, we've had Taugeg and Hart win the Giro. We had a Tour de France with Pogacar winning. Pogacar maybe being... Less of a surprise than a Gegenhard in the Giro. What if Hugh Carty wins this Vuelta? <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't see it um, <laughs> personally. I don't we'll know. We'll see on Angleroo. Angleroo. Angleroo will tell. Will tell everything. Yep. Um, but yeah, I don't. That would be a big step up, but then it'd be, it'd be in keeping <laughs> with. The rest of this 2020. Angleroo stage 12. Uh, that's a, that's obviously a, a nasty one. But tomorrow, I think I think tomorrow we're going to get a pretty good insight into who's going to win this welter and who's the strongest climber. It's pretty, yeah, it's the most 
the purest climber is going to come out on top, I think, in tomorrow's stage unless there's issues beforehand. But that's, I think, all from us today. Not too much GC action, just Valverde sneaking up into that top 10 again. Bennett moving up, I think, a couple of positions. Nice stage win from Mike Woods. Some great breakaway action, a massive break. And, uh, yeah, Nance Patez still looking pretty strong. Aaron Baru promised a lot. I think Benji was mad that break didn't bring him back to the Valverde group and Aaron Baru sprinted to victory. But, uh, yeah, maybe he's not that good. Maybe he should have – no, he shouldn't have taken a poorly up throw up the road. <laughs> I'm just trying to do Benji up. That's all from us today. This is our World Tour Spanish Stage 7 recap. Make sure you watch tomorrow's stage, Stage 8. It's going to be a cracker, hopefully, up that mountaintop finish. Thank you to Lacole for supporting the podcast. Check them out through the link below. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.